and welcome to episode 208 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I'm joined uh, by my co-host, Tony. Hey, T, how's it going? For the third time, Weishan, since it's the third take of the Open, I'm doing well. It's uh... Our audience didn't need to know that. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, damn, I love to see behind the curtain. Um, now, we, uh, we shipped the August issue uh, last week, and... Um, we have the Innovation Exchange, our big uh, three-week conference coming up in September that we're kind of preparing for that. So uh, right now is the calm before the storm, before just, you know, you just start to, th- th- before those nights where you just kind of sit in the dark with uh, just, you know, just having a whiskey, just contemplating life, you know. <laughs> been here for 11 years you know i've had this you know it's about once a year you know it usually comes in december it's like around the american uh where you have waters usa the american financial technology awards is like all this build up and then like it's around then that i'm just like sitting like oh god i can't do this anymore but you know so but no it's good (laughs) and it's usually a one-day event now it's kind of stretched over three weeks stretch over three weeks it's either going to be it's either going to be great or it's going to be terrible probably nothing in between so uh i'm hoping it's going to be great we'll be on it so uh i'm confident i'm confident we have time to prep but it's as everybody knows it's just it's a new world that you know our events every event is just going to be different for a while so uh, but we got a lot of good guests on it, and it's an interesting yeah. concept. Yeah, now it's up to us to pull it off. I think it'll be great because we are on it. That's true. I mean, how can you go wrong when we're on it? So yeah, exactly. So today, I thought we could talk about moonshots and particularly, you know, looking at the banking sector, how some of uh, some moonshot projects have been shelved, uh, and and how the banks have had to pivot to focus on. Um, technology to allow some of their staff to work from home so why don't you tell us a bit about that yeah so you know we published an article on tuesday um written by luke clancy he's editor at large of risk.net but we do a lot of collaboration um when it comes to kind of things that are technology based but kind of cover both uh kind of the risk space and the uh the classic water space and so it's an interesting piece. It, it it touched on things that we've written about a lot since this pandemic has begun. Mm-hmm. But he spoke with um, you know CIOs and senior uh, technologists from uh, UBS, uh, Societe Generale, uh, Nomura, and Deutsche Bank. Uh, Scott Markar, the CIO of, of of Deutsche Bank. And let me say, it's not here nor there. But I so I profiled Scott. In I want to say it was 2011. I think it was like September 2011, um, and he was at RBS back then. And then I wrote something like a, a pain piece. I said this guy is really really smart, and he big things for this guy. Boom, gets a job, CIO of Deutsche Bank. So this all to say, I I can read people. I, I just <laughs> I know who's going to become something big uh, in the future. But anyway, he. Uh, they were talking about how right now it's all hands on deck to allow for a mobile workforce. And it makes complete sense, right? Mm-hmm. We've been writing a lot about uh, uh, Joanne has written a couple stories about uh, tradition and UBS and their virtual machines. We had a story by Josephine talking about HSBC had to get a cargo plane to fly hundreds of um hundreds of laptops and hardware equipment 
um, from I can't remember which city it was in India to Bangalore just to get their, their, their staff in Bangalore to be able to work remotely um, and all these kind of nightmares, you know, people, are we using virtual desktops? Are we using VPNs? You know, there are a lot of challenges around the VPN, even though it's been kind of classic case for it. the firms that have been working toward virtual machines, having a leg up. So we've written about this kind of stuff. Mm. So Luke goes around and, you know, and they say, you know, sure enough that this is what we're working on. And as a result, were you know some of these you know moonshot these really you know kind of innovative cutting edge projects are being put onto the back burner and makes sense yeah at face value but what i i think that there's also maybe a little bit of loss in translation perhaps i think that it's already been a trend that banks have been working with third parties more third-party vendors more for those really innovative solutions, whether that's Cloud9 technology. So UBS talks about how they're working with Cloud9. Well, Cloud9 is working on some really, really cutting-edge Cloud9 IPC uh, together even, or Green yeah. Keys also in that space as well. Um, they're kind of competitors, but they all work together. Um, but really, really cutting-edge innovative technologies so the bank doesn't have to build that kind of stuff. Um, you look at what Symphony's uh, building, you know, that now they're entering into the KYC space. We put up a story about um, this new kind of project that they're working on around uh, trade lifecycle management and expanding the offering into KYC space. But they're working on innovation and the banks are using them for that innovation. So since 2008, banks have been having to deal with regulation. And for many, many years after 2008, it was just about reg stuff that had to get done because it was required by the regulators, right? For Dodd-Frank, for MIFID II, Basel, whatever it was. And then we started to see over the last couple of years, you know, you talk about some of these AI projects that are being worked on, some of these uh, blockchain projects that are being worked on that go absolutely no, I'm sorry, that that are <laughs> really great and innovative. Um, you know, uh, big data analytics, uh, NLP, new uses of NLP. I don't think those things are going away per se. I think that those, I, th I think those, that's always been a part of it, but banks have just become much more comfortable with working with third party vendors and letting them do the moonshot stuff yeah. and then building off of that. Um, so in the meantime, for the next couple of months, anything that isn't mission critical, I'm sure that that gets moved to the back burner. And, but the one difference that we're seeing now, as opposed to 2008 also, First of all, there isn't a cascade of regulations that are coming out, and there's no reason to think that there would be based off of this. It's just a pandemic. Um, there might be some BCP stuff that gets raised you know, around that. But the other difference, though, is that in 2008, tech and ops, the middle and back office, got absolutely decimated. Layoffs, you know, that, that was the first area that, that was you know, just being chopped off. We're not seeing that right now. So tech and ops is still largely, you know, everybody understands that this is a technology world. We are tech companies, whether, you know, you know, yeah, we're going to be working on data governance and unified data frameworks, these important nuts and bolts. And that's what the banks are going to be most worried about right now. But they're keeping those tech teams together. And thus, you still have the institutional knowledge of the projects. So even if something gets moved to the back burner, it should be easy to quickly start working again on those projects. 
So that's the way I see it. So it, it's a really interesting article. It's it's and again, these are you know C level people, and then they also have uh, Oliver Busman, who famously was at UBS, was a very very early champion of blockchain. Um, he's now at a consultancy uh, that a consultancy that he kind of created, and even he was saying, yeah, you know, right now banks aren't going to be spending on quote unquote moonshot projects, but vendors are, and vendors are going to still be working to help these banks that even when they work on, you know, it's, it's always, you know, like state street, you know, they don't go and build the Charles river platform. You go buy Charles river. If that's what <laughs> you want to do, you know, a lot you know, you have these, you know, use gate like Aladdin, you know, that, that incredible thing that BlackRock built, you know, but that's, that's a rarity. Usually it's just acquisition that, you know, usually happens. It's a, te- it's a vendors that are building up. So that's my take on it. I don't know. What, 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 what'd you see on it? Yeah, and I also, I mean, it's it's interesting how this, uh, if I can call it a crisis that we're facing right now, is so different from what happened in 2008, 2009. Um, as, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of tech and ops were the first to, to be laid off uh, that time. But now the difference is that this is, these roles are so important that any bank, I think, would be, would would hold on to whoever is working working with them uh, under these rules. So I thought it was really interesting how UBS uh, deployed their soft uh, system uh, for, for their traders out there. And a uh, senior executive at uh, UBS was saying that, you know, the deployment actually felt like a mission impossible task. Um, mm-hmm. And he was referring to like, particularly in Manhattan, which was being in quote, uh, decimated by covid and you know people were un- yeah people were unable to come to the office and they needed to you know figure out uh, like other banks you know figure out how to handle voice trading in in a way that uh, you know was unplanned for even in their own bcp plans um so but within three weeks they were able to do that they deployed um cloud nine onto their surface tablets which which you know also ties into one of our earlier stories. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, Joanna wrote it about, um, was it Joanna actually? Uh, no, maybe Max, sorry, about um, surveillance and uh, surveillance of like Josephine. employees. Josephine. Josephine, okay. I will link it here. But anyway, in, in terms of, uh, you know, working from home now, how do you get, how do firms also get to control um, what devices their their employees are using and and in all all that to ensure that uh, they're still they still remain compliant basically. Yeah. So, yeah, well, UBS well, here deployed um, Surface tablets. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and listen, there's make no mistake. There's gonna be something bad that eventually comes. Maybe it's not at UBS. It's somewhere else. You know, potentially. But you know, there's gonna be lessons learned. Because again, this is this hasn't ever been done. Um, but like you also, you had mentioned that you know UBS with their soft turrets and use of Cloud Nine, they started that last year, and so that wasn't something that they just started. Oh, oh, you know the the pandemic's breaking out. We gotta, you know, what we're we gonna do? No, no, they they already had this ball in motion, and so I think that that's the difference between that we're seeing here. It's just, you know, were you investing in innovation mm. previously? If you were, then you probably handled this pandemic better than others. And so does that mean that you stop with innovation and 
considering these moonshot projects? No, I don't think you do. But that might mean it, it changes, you know, am I using this? Am I doing this internally? You know, how much of this then is going to be working with innovative, you know, companies like Cloud9, you know, like uh, Symphony, like, you know, OpenFin, what they're doing, any number of companies like that. I think it's, it's with everything that we've seen, uh, banks are definitely more open to uh, working with third parties, whether that is with other banks, so potentially their competitors, or with third-party vendors. Oh, your story. Yeah, you had yeah. a story up uh, this week about uh, BNY Mellon and... Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank, yes. Yeah. Um, you can explain that one a little bit better quickly. but Yeah, so they, uh, well, very quickly, Deutsche Bank and BNY Mellon, um, they, they are both like, they have the custodian, global custodian and sub-custodian relationship going on. Um, but they, together, they developed a, uh, an API uh, enabled FX solution that is uh, for particularly for restricted currencies. So these are currencies where uh, in, in countries that they have capital controls. So like let's say an, an investor would uh, buy a security in 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 uh, in one of these countries. I don't have I don't hold for example I don't hold Korean one. So the job of uh, the custodian is to be able to settle that in in Korea itself. Because I can't have, I can't hold Korean one, for example. Yeah. So they developed this solution and they're looking to extend it to other restricted currencies as well. So, but. And, but it's important to remember that for them and for the teams that are working on that. And this is the other thing about, you know, that's a moonshot for them. You know, that, that this is something that, like, that that was something that it required these two companies coming together, working with Symphony they have their own chat pots. There's a lot of things that get involved in it. It wasn't just something that they said, oh, this is something we're going to do overnight. No, this was a long project and that they're slowly rolling out to other areas. It might not seem like a moonshot, but it is. It is one of those things where, you know, because of the advancements that have been made on the collaboration front, the comms front with Symphony, they were able to incorporate that into their own companies, right? Yeah, I guess it was. It would have been a moonshot a few years ago. <laughs> That's <laughs> So this would be the moonshot, and that now they've achieved it, which is is, which is now they're circling the moon and coming back or something. <laughs> so I, I think it's very different from how the banks used to operate, where they would just be on their own, developing their own in-house stuff. I, granted, they still do that, but they're more. I feel that they're more open to collaborating with um, with others now, and they they don't see it as value adding to or or. Um, they don't see it as efficient to achieve some of their moonshot projects on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and so you know, the other thing that the article talked about was just this idea. And so Max had already uh, uh written about this, but uh, and I think that we've talked about this on the podcast, but the idea of banks cutting back on their office space. So mm. Max took it as do you turn your office space into a we work uh kind of setup for your fintech companies that you're because that's the thing. All these banks have innovation labs, have VC arms that are, you know, trying to invest in innovative companies. Um, but we're already starting to see some like today. Actually, it was big news that broke that the Daily News, New York Daily News is closing its uh, downtown office. Um, and so they're not going to have a newsroom. Uh, yeah. They don't know if that's permanent. It might not be permanent, but. 
you know, they're just telling the reporter, I'll work from home. And there's going to be the one thing about, so again, we, we've, you know, so they talk about this. We have the Max article. We have this article by Luke, you know, talking about, you know, um, Scott Markar saying, you know, that they are having internal discussions of how much of a footprint do we need both for our offices and for our disaster recovery sites, for our physical disaster recovery sites. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of conversations that are going to be happening just as a labor force. You know, you get paid extra money to live, to work in New York because the commute is expensive. Going and eating for lunch is expensive. You don't get to get, here's going to be like, it'd be naive to think that this argument isn't now going to break out that, all right, well, you aren't commuting into the office and you don't have to pay Manhattan prices. We don't have to pay you as much then to come in. There's, you know, we're going to save money. Not only we save money on our office space, but we're going to pay less. But the trade-off is you get to live in an area that's more affordable and more enjoyable for your life, for your happiness. Hopefully you choose a place that these are going to be kind of questions that are going to be breaking out. But the first piece of that before we get to that is do banks actually cut back significantly on the real estate? Um, in major uh, metropolitan areas. If that happens, and that's going to lead to both new questions about how do you pay your workforce? You, you have to make adjustments in pay there. Um, how do you create more collaborative tools that still can keep a team together while working remotely? I don't, like I said last time, I don't think that the best, a team is better when they work together um, yeah. in person. And again, that's been tough for me, as I've explained previously. But um, there's going to be a lot of philosophical questions. But that that's going to be the first thing is, you know, who's that first big bank that says my Park Avenue office, we're we're closing that thing down. We don't need to have that thing anymore. And who's that first bank? Because there will be a first that will do it. Um, you, know, you could certainly see a company like maybe Bank of America, really, you know, that they're already down, you know, their headquarters in Charlotte. Um, but yeah, th these are going to be the questions that are going to that are going to have to be answered uh, going forward. I think with the with, uh, you know, having some or giving the option to employees to work from wherever they're from. So outside of New York, let's say, and then adjusting their pay packages um, from there. I, that would be, I would think, a HR nightmare. To handle. Well, and then especially if you have unions, um, then that's that's a whole different, you know, how do you bridge that gap? You know, you have to, I think you'd have to, I, I wouldn't, I, this is that, then that becomes a whole, exactly, HR and union and all these other kind of questions are so far beyond me. But if I didn't have to live in New York City, um, but keep the same job, yeah, I wouldn't mind taking less money then it becomes a discussion of how much less. And is that something that you just work out one-on-one -on -one with your boss? Is, I, I don't I don't know what the right answer is. I'm sure there are things that I'm not considering in this debate, so. That would, that would mean a lot of one-on-ones. If you just imagine. And then can even, you, but can you have one-on-one? Because I, like, I'm a white man. I say, hey, I'm gonna go live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Like, go ahead. You, uh, Asian woman, goes, hey, I'm going to go live over here. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to. Well, why was Tony, why, well, you're necessary. It's like, All right, now we're starting to get in some tricky, tricky areas here. <laughs> and 
so you, you can't really go one on one, right? I, I I don't I don't know what those answers are. I honestly don't. Yeah, we could go down a real rabbit hole in there talking about yeah. this, but yeah, I want to know um, what is your moonshot? What's my moonshot? Um, <laughs> uh, my moonshot would be. Oh God, I, I, I should probably have something better than this, right? But I'm 40 years old, so you know, whatever. Um, I am a pretty good pool player. Um, in if anybody knows what the American Pool Player Association is, APA, um, I'm ranked a six. The highest that you can be ranked is a seven, though the the gap between a six and a seven is can be significant. Um, so for me, I would love to become you know a seven because that's just you know they're in. There aren't even in New York City, you know, that play in APA. There's not a ton of them. You know, there's a couple dozen, maybe. I don't know. Um, in my league, there's maybe I play on Sundays. Uh, there's maybe two, three that I can think of. Um, so that'd be cool if I could get myself to become a seven um, late in life, I guess. <laughs> how would you How would you do that? Do you Would you have to practice, practice a lot of – are there specific so drills I, that you do? So I, I, you know, actually, it's funny, like during because of the pandemic, I'm shooting a lot more pool because I'm one of those people that has a pool pool table in his uh, his Williamsburg, Brooklyn apartment, not one that's shared <laughs> in my apartment. <clears throat> Let me just say uh, so, um, sure. so. Yeah, it's just it's practicing a lot of different drills, just improving on your weaknesses. Um, but the reason why it's also tough right now is I'm not playing against anybody. So I'm just playing against myself and. You can drill against yourself, and you can constantly drill, you can constantly practice, but at the end of the day, you need to put it into motion against somebody else. So that's for me. That'd be it. Um, it should probably be something like, oh, I'm going to improve myself. It's like, nah, I'm, I'm old. I don't I don't care. That would be cool for me if I'm a seven. You can't teach you? an old dog new tricks. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I can improve. I can improve on the tricks I know. You're not going to teach me anything new. Um, how about for you? Uh, we've talked about this before, so I, I told you that I think you would know if you remember. But um, I would like to write a book. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That would be. I'd be cool. See, I, that that's a bet. God, I should have come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I steal that. That's a good one. That's. Uh, I can't. You know what it is? I can't even imagine. Like I read books all the time, and I'm like, I just can't imagine. Like I can do long form. I can do, you know, one thousand, two thousand. 10,000 words, not a problem. You know, 100,000 words? Oh, Jesus, I don't know, man. That's, that's, it's, I, I can't imagine being able to piece together, but you, you, you got to try it at some point, so. And yeah, you got to try it at some point. <laughs> what would be the genre? Would it be uh, fiction, nonfiction, biography, science, sci fi, something like that? I think it would be fiction based on. Uh, loosely based on real life events. Okay. Yeah. Don't want to give you don't want to give anything too away, so uh, you know no one can steal your idea. I like it. Smart, mm. smart. <laughs> <Petty play. laughs>